What's up? Hello. Good evening, gentlemen. Okay. I was going to talk about catching my white whale. Finally doing it. You know, you are my Moby Dick. <laughs> I've never I've never actually read Moby Dick. Yeah. But I think when I did the the, the notes online, I did a quick skim, skim through. It doesn't sound good for the captain. And the captain's our ship, lats unfiltered. Yes, that is a foreshadowing of a shipwreck of this episode. <laughs> Hopefully not. You know what? No. Who is our white whale? Introduce our white whale for us. It is the one and only JC. <laughs> JC, who would have thought? Three years ago, when we started all this, there's been calls of getting you on this pod. You've been dodging us like the like the Matrix. Uh, <laughs> you turned into Moby Dick, turned around, and now you're coming at us hard. Now he's Dicky Moby or whatever, <laughs> just flipping it back on us. I've never yeah. seen a normal person be hyped up so much. And like for our listeners, I don't know if there's anyone out there listening who doesn't know us. They're wondering who the heck is this JC who they keep talking about, yet this guy does not pay attention to them at all. He's big, you know, big timing us all over the place. Well, the fact is, like, you know, it took, it took having Steve call him out before he even decided that he's going to give us a shot here. So, But you know what? Steve calling you out, now you have this thing where, you know, you have the potential to be better than he was. No pressure, though. No pressure, no pressure. I, 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 I am not chasing that, that uh, you know, those uh, the amount of viewers. <laughs> you know, a true a true player don't have to chase; it just comes to him naturally. Exactly. Well, if it comes, well, the, it comes, right? I'm telling you right now, we probably already have one dropped listener. That would be Sarah, as she hates that we always begin with our episode talking about our incompetence, and she'll just say, in her mind right now, she's probably saying, "Just get on with it, guys." Well, you know what? That's a, that's a kind of a management thinking, management talk. Like, you always got to hype yourself up and be confident. We know we're just self-deprecating. We know what we are. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know what? As a as a uh, a podcast, right? You can't... It's, it's a form of entertainment. You can't go straight, you know, to the main part of it. You got to... You know, do a little bit of a build up and then get the viewers going, right? And then you ease your way into it. What are you talking about here? I don't know if you're talking about podcasting or if you're talking about getting it on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, hey, whatever analogy you want to take it as, but you know, that's honestly this might be a lot more foreplay than than what we are all used to here. <laughs> yeah, normally it's just you know one on one, a little one on one action. Now we got a threesome going on. No one knows what to do now. It's all over the place. It's a, it's a whole new playing field, right? It is. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Let's just get this party going, and I'm gonna go and start this thing off. You know what? I don't get. I don't get what the hell is the point of having all these friggin' real estate signs saying. Sold above asking. What the fuck's the point of that these days? It's I know our, yeah, our go group's ahead, got like this uh, thing going on the last couple of days where, you know, JC, you being, you know, a conversation starter out here, sending out links and all. Um, but this one, I think, got our group chatting a little bit. 
and it's it's the housing prices these days. Yeah, housing prices are ridiculous. I mean, uh, you know, like we're me me and uh, me and uh, Eva, you know, we're looking at that. Took way too long. <laughs> I'm, try, I'm trying to put my thoughts together and how to your thoughts better, on what her name is on how oh to better explain the story. Yeah, you know, go to ahead. Make your, to make your podcast sound more professional, right? Oh, wow, you have a tall task ahead of you. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, yeah, we're looking at houses in Stouffville, and we started looking at the um, I think 2019. You know, prior to the the whole you know situation that's going on right now, and pr- prices back then were this is the end of twenty nineteen, by, by the way. So back then, I think like a, a middle townhouse was like sold for just like around seven hundred ish, mid seven hundred ish, and then. Now it's like you know. Recently, it was like middle townhouses are being sold for like one, well, with like one million, which is ridiculous. And how many square feet are we talking? Like, uh, they don't give you like exact square feet. Ballpark, now. It. but my, now it's like they, they you should put it in a range of like fifteen hundred to two thousand or so. So those are the ones we're kind of aiming for, and yeah, essentially, uh, that's how much it costs now, one million. So if you don't have one million, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know it's a tough situation, and you know definitely feel your frustration. You know, back on Link saying, you know, he doesn't understand things. He doesn't understand the the sign on top of the real estate sign saying "sold over asking" or those flyers that they hand out. First of all, I want to dive into this and double down on what you said: real estate flyers. Like all the home listings, some agent you've never heard of. Like literally I walk out of my door and I trip over like three agents outside. That's how many agents there are. I don't need a flyer. Like we don't need to know that it's sold over asking. Of course it's sold over asking. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's it's kinda it's kinda pointless to keep saying that. Yeah, the the fact that you, you have a sign and as a buyer, if you're a buyer and you're you're driving in there doing your whatever visits that you've agreed upon or while you're moving in you still see that goddamn sign sitting there nothing but smack into your face insulting you every day the fact that you paid way over asking because sometimes these signs just don't go paid over at or sold over asking they're sold way over asking like you're just that sucker right there yeah that's that's kind of the part that i've never really um never really thought about that rubbing it in your face when you go for your visits, you know, get, go for your home inspection and all that stuff. That sign is still there. Oh, that's a good point. I well, mean, there's also, there's also like Derek telling us that, you know, as a, as a seller, you know, you want to make maximum money. Yeah, I get that, but you don't have to, you know, you don't have to showboat and, and flaunt it in, in everyone's face. One of the things that I noticed, you know, from seeing a lot of listings, I know my neighbor, my old neighbor sold uh, at the townhouse in North York. Um, they put a sign in the window saying this agent is like the top 1%. Like, how could all these agents be the top 1%? That's another thing, because everyone's talking about all the awards and trophies they won, yet 
there's like all these asterisks beside it. Like there's top 1% on Tuesdays in, in March when it's raining, like all these conditions. Yeah, I it's, hear you. It's yeah. like, uh, in, in a sense, yes, it is taunting you, but at the same time, it's like anywhere, right? They're, they're trying to, you know, show off the resume in a sense that, hey, you know, I can get you this, right? This is what my services will provide you. Which is honestly right now, nowadays, uh, I feel like so many of the real estate agents are like that, that <laughs> you don't even need to do that anymore, right? Yeah, I mean, we've talked, you know, at, at length about real estate agents, um, whether they're, they do more harm than good, really. Um, it's debatable and it's up to everyone's own interpretation, really. I mean, there's certain things that I look for in an agent and I, I've discussed this with you, JC, uh, a few times. You know, they need to know the market, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're paying them, you're going to be eventually giving them part of that commission, right? Um, they got to know the market in and out of the area you're looking in. They have to know, like, they have to feed you that research. I mean, what, what are they there for otherwise, right? Just to kind of you know, give you forms and sign forms and stuff. I mean, they have to give you that information up front so you can make that informed decision. I think, you know, obviously there's surprises when you're house shopping. I've, I've done it, you know, a number of times already. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, I feel like you shouldn't be so surprised because your agent should be filling you in on what the market will bear, right? Yeah. Uh, is that you're, you're totally correct. Like, the the agent should be doing basically majority of the work, right? And doing the research, uh, looking at the area, recently sold prices, prices sold like, you know, 90 days ago, whatever not. Uh, however, there are going to be agents as well where they'll basically be like, look, uh, you, this, if this is what you want, that's fine. But all I'm going to do is just prepare the, the paperwork for you and then you know, they kind of, they kind of, in the back of, uh, lack of, you know, better terms, they just kind of half-ass their way around, just kind of do whatever they can, because <laughs> a lot of these, now the agents, right, they, there's so many agents out there, and, you know, they don't have to worry about not having any businesses, because so many people are trying to, you know, you can, you can almost say that uh, there's a fear of missing out, right, of not being able to make it onto the bandwagon, that they're willing to just put any money into buying whatever homes. Sorry, I kind of got off on a rant there, but yeah. don't be sorry. We we want you to get off on rants. This is the whole point. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I hear you. Um, it, it, I guess it really depends on like the strategy, right? Like we know a lot of people are having affordability problems right now. Um, so, you know, if you're able to inform your customers, you know, here's what it is, you, you, you kind of maybe set their expectations set and do a level set with them. And, and I think I showed you guys that article of that, that couple that uh, just gave up. They said they gave up. They had like all this money. They had a condo, I think, that they sold or they, they whatever. They had the down payment, like multiple times down payment. And they still couldn't find anything in, like, I think York Region they were looking in. And so they just gave up. I'm like, well, you only give up when really you don't really know what the expectations are. You get defeated after a while. Maybe they just, what all they needed was kind of a reality set. You know, here's, here's what it is. Here's what the market is. Maybe consider something else for an interim. For an interim, yes. But, you know, for some people, it's 
they don't really have that uh, opportunity to have a second shot at it, right? So say, for example, uh, I kind of, in a sense, I kind of understand how they feel just because even though we were told about the expectation about what the prices were going to be, at the end of the day, though, it's still, your agent can only do so much, right? Uh, At the end of the day, you're the ones who is still making the final decision about how much, you know, you want to put in the bid for and whatever not. And, you know, they're not going to be like, hey, this is not going to work. I'm not going to put it in for you if, you know, if you don't, uh, if you don't put this X amount of money in, right? Which might, which might be, you know, anything from like 50, 30K to like uh, 50K or even up to, uh, you know, over a hundred k, over what you are, you yourself can afford. Yeah, I mean, bottom line, you don't go more than you can afford. That's you know, you don't chase, you don't really get emotional. I know there's some emotion in, involved, and you know, sometimes you end up going a little higher than you want, but definitely chasing again that white whale uh, mm-hmm. over that amount, way over that amount that you can afford, that your you can finance. Um, not, definitely not a good idea. Um, again, again, and you said they they make or you make the decision. They can only kind of advise you on it. Um, but you know, after a certain point, don't you have to consider that you know we've been looking for so long, we've been priced out for so long. Um, you know, right now is is a, a dead. It's kind of a dead period, or it should be. It's winter, right? Um, uh, the supply is only going to increase, I think, as the year goes on. Am I correct? Or I mean, you would know more than I more than I do. Well, actually, right now, I, I've been reading a couple of articles from uh, uh, Financial Times. Right, they're saying that uh, given how the pandemic is still ongoing, and people are not going to back to the offices to work, and people are just trying to look for, you know, trying to get out of the condos and essentially move somewhere where. Uh, they're not enclosed inside such a very, you know, um, limited, limited space, yeah. right? <clears throat> so people are all moving outside of the city. So outside of Toronto in this case. And they're looking, you know, anywhere, Stouffville, um maybe like King City or even like even far west out in like... Uh, East Wilmer, but nah, East, even that's still more yeah. north. But like Caledon, yeah, uh, exactly, Caledon or like Hamilton, like Burlington, yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. So they move outside of this into the suburbans, and see the the crazy thing is, well, uh, here you finish your thought there first. Yeah, no, no, you you finish. Sorry, there, sorry, I, sorry. I, I kind of lost my train of thought. So what were we talking about, Andrew? No, you're talking about <laughs> Paladin, Burlington. Yeah, people, people deciding to move further away from the the GTA core. Yeah. So essentially, what uh, the article I was reading about is you, wait, okay. So I remember now. You were saying that uh, there is eventually going to be more houses, but from what I read in these articles, but you know, at the end of the day, they're just articles. They're just opinions about from the writers themselves. Uh, how much research or how much, no matter how much research you do or how much uh, opinions you get from, you know, these quote unquote experts, right? Uh, 
at the end of the day, no one can really figure out what's going to happen. Just like how some experts, you know, they predicted that, oh, during the uh, pandemic, when this first rolled in, uh, there's going to be a burst because, you know, people are going to be laid off and, you know, they're not, they're going to eventually be forced to sell their homes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that actually turned out to be the opposite where actually drove the, the housing market even higher than what it was before. And like you said, winter usually is supposed to be a very uh, low time, low season in the housing market where you only get like maybe a couple, a handful of houses being listed. But instead, it's actually, you know, there's still quite a decent amount of house houses being uh, sold here just because people are trying to capital capitalize on uh, the selling opportunity and, you know, to make more money out of it. And they're saying that because of this and because of the low mortgage rates that people are borrowing from, uh, it's not sustainable because a people can borrow a lot I more money than what they could before when the oh, mortgage rates are high. Go ahead. Oh, can you hear me? No, keep, keep going. Keep going. Yeah, so, you know, people, A, people are able to borrow a lot more money than what they could before now that the mortgage rates are a lot lower, and, or the, the interest rates, anyways. And then um, that basically the supply is very low because uh, they're also saying, like, housing markets are going up. Uh, the, the new house, the pre-constructions are also going up because uh, I think the value of timber in general was rising as well. So is that what the developers are telling uh, feed in feed into public? Yeah. The developer like can go suck my dick. <laughs> you know, the fact that these motherfuckers always buy pieces of land and they sit on that shit. And you know what? They don't build it because they're banking on the fact that prices will keep on going up mm-hmm. and they're waiting and they're holding on to it until it's worth it to develop. So those guys can go fuck off. They built shoddy houses, shitty designs. Today, I was just driving by some like those uh, these newer townhouses that are just built randomly. Um, plenty of space. You can probably put in some like, you know, detach or full detach, or, like semi detach or some stuff. Instead, they they built into this little weird mini. It's like the North York kind of back in where you used to live, Andrew. There's no reason to build it like that, but they do. They build it like that because they can cram in as many units as they can for the, uh, for a limited space. Um, so those guys can give a fuck themselves uh, for for all I care. If they built something, even especially now, like you think you want to build a house that's you know new, you want to buy a house that's newer because you have less problems to fix. But most of the time. They're they're pretty much cutting corners, you know, not doing the best job. The design's not correct there. I mean, everyone's at fault here. The fact that, you know, government allows developers to kind of, you know, buy land and wait on it and wait until it's, you know, expensive and it's worth it for them. This whole timber thing is complete bullocks. We live in friggin' resource-rich Canada. You telling me we can't go in the backyard and chop some trees down? Of course, because, you know, uh, then you'll be tapping into the whole issue of, uh, you know, protecting the environment and whatnot. Yeah, except they freaking go and built it on our green belt where we have our fresh water supply. Mm -hmm. They don't give a shit about this stuff. 
These guys are a joke. Anyways, <laughs> whether whether or not they jokes. actually you know care or not, that's a different story. But this, this is something that's that's a, they're just going to feed you just because it is a reason, right? Dude, so. I, I even wonder how much lumber they're even using in these houses because you know going back to this whole townhouse setup, uh, the stacked townhouse setup, which is a setup I I, I kind of hate by the way, having lived there for five years, five plus mm-hmm. years. They don't. There's no metal. There's no sorry. There's no lumber. It, all the joists are metal. You know, there might be some lumber here and there, but like the frame is all like, you know, steel or whatever. So, I mean, they could use that, that cheap Chinese steel and build that shit, man. Like, just build it. How much lumber is going into it? No, there's still a good amount of uh, lumber being used as um, the foundations of a home. Right? So, let's say, for example, it may not be uh what our parents houses used to be like you know when scarborough was being built uh with that amount of lumber but in a sense it still does use a good amount yeah i think a house would a house would a townhouse is kind of debatable but yeah. you know some of townhouse, these things, yeah. yeah some of them have really shoddy quality right i i've lived in one they cut corners all over the place the builders went bankrupt you know the roofs had to be redone because they, they leaked water and they weren't built like they weren't engineered properly and you know they cut corners on like the plumbing and all sorts of stuff so i mean it's a really buyer beware if you're buying pre-construction and you're just you're basically buying it off of a dream like you're buying it off of a stock like a artist rendering and like you don't know what the hell you're gonna get when it's all done right Uh, it could be a total piece of shit like i just saw i think last year a flyer for like the pharrell condos like you can get this condo it has pharrell's name on it pharrell endorsed i saw that yeah i'm like the fuck does pharrell know about condos if it's if it's exactly like his music yeah i don't get the hype because it's off of a tangent. I don't get the Nep- Neptune hype. I listen I think, to some of it. I like, like the Neptune. There's a lot of holes. Well, the beats, yeah, but, you know, that's it's, that's bare bone. I guess those condos bare bone. Tangent. When you, <laughs> back in the day, like, you're talking about, like, the 2000s, like, the Neptunes were, like, they were the DJ Khaled. You wanted the Neptunes to produce your track. You wanted the Neptunes beats. I mean, say whatever you want for Pharrell himself. He can't sing. God damn, he can't sing. But, you know, you wanted him on your track, just like now you want, like, Khaled. I don't know who's next. Who's that next guy? Anyways. I don't know. I, I, yeah, that's a tangent right there. Yeah. Uh, I think circling back in terms of, like, where you were talking about people moving all the way out, you know, leaving the core of, of Toronto, mm-hmm. um, just... Uh, getting more space just due to this whole COVID situation, right? I think it's a mistake on a lot of these people's part because you're th- everyone's thinking like, okay, we're going to go work from home, work from home. I work for a very progressive company and we're not, t- we're, we've gained some work from home days, you know, after this COVID thing's all done and over and done with. They've told us like, we're going to increase your work from home instead of doing a once a month, which is kind of funny back then, once a month, uh, to now being, you know, two times a week. Uh, it's amazing. You save on the uh, costs, but the main thing is you're saving on the commute time. But you're still going in. I'm still going to have to go in for three, two, three times a week at least. Um, and if you're living out in Caledon and you're working in Toronto, 
that is one hell of a fucking commute. I totally agree. No, uh, that's the thing. You know, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of hoping on is that you know once this whole pandemic ends, whenever it does, uh, people will realize you know they can't keep up with a two-hour one-way commute, right? Going to work and another two hours going back home every day for like you know X amount of days before they go and think, you know what? This I'm wasting so much time just riding on the go train or driving back home, and I'm you know you you work like you know let's say eight hours or nine hours a day already. <laughs> you're so tired that uh, people are going to get sick of it, and eventually everybody's going to come that works in the downtown core anyways would want to move back closer to there. And because like you said, as much as everybody is working from home now, it, it's not going to be permanent, right? employers are going to be calling back uh, the employees to come back to the office. They're not going to, because it's not even just the company themselves, right? But like, think of the downtown core. You're, you're, you're feeding not just, you're feeding essentially all the other businesses around, right? Like, let's say the, the, the food court and the uh, nearby offices or the other small uh, coffee shops and whatnot, right? These are other businesses that kind of thrives. This is like an ecosystem where it, it, different, uh, uh, or, you know, organisms thrive on another, one on another. And then it's, if you remove one of them, then the whole thing just kind of collapses. Yeah, so that's why, like, you bring up this ecosystem. It's like the, the great reefs. You know, it might be it might be dead by the time everything's kind of you, you go back there, because a lot of these rent like space shops that uh, businesses are renting downtown, they're paying a premium because they're the the premium is the traffic that you would normally get on a regular day, and it's not regular day at times anymore. A lot of them are probably gone. And uh, my prediction is even after the COVID, this COVID thing, there's going to be a lot of people that are a little bit more conservative in terms of starting their own business. Um, and I don't see them jumping in until it settles down where people have forgotten about this fear of a possible pandemic uh, or possible virus again. Because this thing can go, you know, we, we can get vaccinated right now, but it can pop its head right back up in two, two years time three years time and if something like this is already shutting down our economy imagine if something worse happens right so i find it very hard for as a person that if i wanted to go and start my own business it's probably scary to even consider it for the next like two to five years i think well, actually go ahead. Sorry, go ahead go ahead oh i said i was gonna say from a business perspective i think that makes sense i think you know, people are going to be kind of skittish when they see, you know, all these boarded up windows, all these businesses that have closed. From a social perspective, though, uh, in past pandemics, um, you know, in the last century or so, um, people have gone back to living their normal life. Now, I think we need to know that this COVID-19 is going to be around for, you know, years to come, just even with the vaccine. It's going to be around. It's going to be kicking around. It's going to kind of become endemic. Um the poor nations in the world are not going to have the vaccine. Like they're going to struggle to have the vaccine. All the richer nations have it right now. Um, the COVID's going to be around, but people are once people in like um, Western society and you know um, I want to say Western society, developed nations, um, 
once they get back to a level of normalcy, they're going to go like balls to the wall. They're going to go straight at it. Um, I don't know if they're going to be skittish from a social aspect or from a business aspect. I think you do have a point. They will be kind of uh, less, uh, sorry, more reluctant to throw their you know entire savings into a business that might shut down in three years, five years, 10 years, 100 years, or 100 years, 10 years, or whatever, <laughs> right? Well, actually, I don't know. I, I, I've... Uh... In, like I, I don't I don't know too much about business, but in I've seen on like you know IGs and whatever not, uh, there is actually like Block TO. They would you know introduce people that like oh hey these guys uh, opened up a business even during the midst of a pandemic kind of thing. And you what know, kind of business is it? It's usually food. Okay. Yeah, because that's the only thing I look at. Because you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Eva, Eva's, Eva's listening. Eva's <laughs> listening. Food is the only thing you look at. Anyways, <laughs> let's go on. Like, uh, yeah, and then like uh, these guys, you know, they they're trying to take their hands, put their they put try basically try try to luck in something. Uh, in, in what they would probably consider as, I guess, maybe a, an opportunity, right? Because in all, in anything that's chaotic, right, there is always opportunities that's in there for people to thrive or so, for something to thrive in. Uh, it's just a matter of can you choose the right um, thing or direction to do it in? You mean like hoarding Lysol wipes and toilet paper and then selling out to the market at 10 times the cost? <laughs> no. Well, at the very, very, very beginning, before everybody started panic buying, yes. But, you know, uh, I remember there's this one story about this uh, guy from the States. I think it was like Arizona or something. He essentially bought up like crate loads of Lysol wipes and this and, and alcohol sanitizers from like, uh, a Costco or something or like I forgot where but anyways yeah. he bought it all up and eventually the judge uh, the local judge called him in and then it was like you know you're you're hogging up all this stuff da, 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 and then you, you, he mandated him to just you know give it back all up and he fined him for it because he was trying See? to sell it back up for like uh, you know a premium right <laughs> This is a farce. Like this whole bullshit, bullshit talk about capitalism and, and the invisible hand divided. This man here, or that man there, looked at the situation, did his research, knows what's up, knows that this is like you know he's forecasting. All these other fools out in like the states early on did not take it seriously. He's the one that thought about you know what I'm going to gamble. So what if this uh, COVID thing had not taken off? Could he have gone to the judge and asked him, hey, it's past the 30 days refund. Okay, mm -hmm. assuming he didn't buy it at Costco because Costco has unlimited refunds. But assuming that he bought it at some other store, can he go back and then be like, hey, can you get the store to go and refund me all this money? Because, yeah, I I, I was banking on the fact that there's going to be this pandemic and everyone's going to need to buy this thing. It's not. It's a one-sided thing. So, again, it's a tangent that I think... Uh, <laughs> It just shows like it, the U.S. court thing where they talk about f capitalism, free market. It's a complete bullshit kind of stuff. 
uh, I'm not siding with that other person for, you know, price gouging people in the time of uh, emergency. But you can't all, you also can't fault him and charge him with a fine, right? Ethically speaking, he did a bad thing. But financially speaking, business savvy speaking, he did the right thing. One of these things that, you know, I, I don't want to run on with this tangent too much, but I think people, especially in the States, they only believe in uh, capitalism when it's convenient for them, right? Um, when it is inconvenient or like conflicts with their values, then, you know, capitalism can be thrown to the wayside. Like, for example, the example that you brought up, plus this whole cancel culture thing that people keep talking about that doesn't exist. Yeah. Like, oh, they're canceling Dr. Seuss. They're getting rid of Dr. Seuss. Have you seen those those uh, images? So Yeah. Like, um, you know, kind of, you know, probably not good for today's era to have those images out there, those images of Asians and, like, African people that were like, yeah, yeah I guess they're pretty pretty racist. But, you know, the publishing company decided not to, pu- not to print those anymore. And now people are screaming about, like, cancel culture. Um, that was a, that's a capitalist or that's a free market business decision to not publish those books. It's not canceled, right? Same thing with like Mr. Potato Head and Aunt Jemima, all the important stuff, guys, all the, all the key issues that we're talking about in society, pancake mix and toys and books. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it wasn't the publishing company. I think it was the trustee or something then related to Dr. Seuss, they decided that they're going to pull it and, and won't allow publishers to print those books anymore. I haven't taken a look at them, but I can already have an image like of how they would de- depict an Asian back in the 1920s, 1930s. You know, slanty eyes, kind of wearing a mock, has a ponytail. Yeah, I pretty much probably hit it off. Spot on. Actually, they did revise it. The first image of that, uh, I guess a Chinese um, drawing. The guy was literally yellow, like a lemon, <laughs> and then they changed it to make it more like skin-like color, mm-hmm. but still kept the racist-like depiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can talk about this. You know, we've talked about this cancellation like endlessly, like in the last probably fifteen pods that we did. Uh, we don't have to go towards that. I know we brought JC here to talk strictly, you know, not strictly, obviously free flowing, but yeah, we, we can always fall into that tangent, right? Of cancel yeah. culture. Do you guys want to talk about what we discussed earlier in the week in our chat? The um, the whole alcohol being sold in convenience stores thing. Oh yeah, yeah we talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, for our listeners who don't know. Um, Doug Ford, surprise, surprise, Mr. Boozehound himself. Um, I think he went down. He went down to like Texas or something on a, on a trip to like meet with um, was it Seven Eleven executives? Um, oh, I thought he went on the Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> <laughs> what a freaking fool! This guy yeah. telling people not to freaking travel. Yeah. Another hypocrisy. This guy is such a fucking idiot. Yeah, I can't, I can't stand him. Yeah, I don't I like. I actually can't stand a lot of a lot of shit these days. But this yeah, guy he's... is a joke. How can you tell people not to go anywhere or to travel anywhere unless yeah, it's essential business? He's always putting his foot in his mouth. He had to apologize to some indigenous like MP or MPP today yep. for like saying they cut jump the line. Yeah, 
to get the vaccine and stuff. Um, but anyways, I mean, to cut to the chase, uh, there's an application submitted by 7-Eleven that they want to be able to not only sell alcohol in convenience stores, but also like serve it and you can consume it on site in the convenience store. Let me give you a little little story, not even a story, but like my own experience with 7-Eleven in, in at least Toronto or Canada. There's not many of them. The, old, the ones that I know, they closed down. Yeah. The one yep. in Markham, like Denison or whatever, yeah. close to Denison, closed yep. down. It did. Yeah. And the only time I was ever in there was when I was freaking drunk as, drunk as a skunk. <laughs> and I went in there, and I was just like, "This is the best." I get to scoop, I get to buy a hot dog, go over to the nacho stand, scoop some nacho cheese all over it, and eat it. I don't need more alcohol if I go and visit Seven Eleven. I'm already fucked up. <laughs> I mean, okay. So speaking from like a, because I, I I've lived in Asia for those for those of the saying, I've lived in Asia for a couple of years, and you know, over I lived in Korea and Hong Kong, and. Over there, oh yeah, you can buy alcohol like pretty much anywhere, right? Convenience stores, department stores, restaurants, the the guy, the food stall selling, you know, the the side street food. Yeah, you pretty much buy from anywhere. But anyways, <clears throat> uh, so it, it, while we're talking about this, and in the group chat, we were talking about how it, it works in, you know, con- certain countries where in certain countries like Canada it might not work. Right, which I understand because in a country where the transport system, you know, the like local subways and whatever not, is way more <laughs> superior, it will work because you don't have to worry about drinking and driving. Way to point out that the transit systems are more superior, not the people. We do not need to get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid of where you were going with this. Oh no, 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 no! Go, go no. ahead, go on. Hey, hey, it's it's uh, you know you know how you know how good our uh, public transit system is in uh, Canada. Yes. Yeah. Continue with your story. But anyways, so yeah, and it's just in a country where you don't have to worry about driving. Essentially, yeah, it works, right? If you do end up, uh, you know, having too much fun and you get a little, you have a little too much alcohol, uh, you can. It's good to know that you can actually at least get home safely, you know, without having to drive. Whereas here, like, let's put let's let's face it. Although there's a good amount of people that don't drive or own a vehicle, in most of Canada, if you don't have a vehicle, you're pretty much like, you know, stuck. A lot of times. Yep. Outside of city centers. Exactly, or, or um, you know, urban type areas that are near a transit line. You, yeah, you're you're pretty much stuck. You're right. Um, you know, I'm thinking back to all the Seven Elevens, like Link. You said a lot of them are closed. The ones that I can think of in recent memory that I've come across in the GTA, all are not there anymore. Like one where I, near where I used to live is gone now. Um, I'm wondering where these 7-Elevens are. They must be maybe in the suburbs somewhere. And I think one of the one of the things is as well, they're a lot of them have gas stations attached to them. Like by nature, you're driving to that place to buy gas, <laughs> and you may as well go in. And I guess they want to say these 7-Elevens are a restaurant. 
I, I guess that's the play that they will have to go with, right? Because I can't see these big breweries like Labac, Molson, you know, these they're the one that controls this whole beer store in, in Ontario. I think they can they can flex their muscle a lot harder on seven eleven than seven eleven on them. Like when we talk about like um grocery stores like Walmart and Loblaws, no frills and um being able to kind of carry uh, a selection of beer. Uh, and wine they don't do hard liquor but those are the alcohols that you can buy there they have they have way more leverage than what a 7-eleven can do like you said there's not many of them the other ones i can think of are all downtown like maybe eglinton and and dufferin area that place is a little bit like run down uh gentrification's happening there but uh it's still run down um those are the only places like how much leverage can they push the government i'm pretty sure the lobby group of like beer store would come right in and say nope this is bad for for communities you know what if they don't go and check on like id the people uh i don't know if young people still drink alcohol or if they just smoke weed or and, and do edibles but uh, <laughs> you know changing trends um yeah for me i just don't see the appeal of it like even when at the height of my drinking days i just don't see the appeal of going to a beer store the only time i ever drink is you know at a party right and most of the parties that we've ever threw had plenty plenty of alcohol that we don't have to go out on a beer run yeah and you don't have to go stop in 7-eleven get your your hot dog with your nacho cheese and sit there at a table and drink yeah that's what I don't understand the appeal of. Like, who's doing this? Like, I, I in my mind, I have an image of who's doing it, and it's not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> this person is a, is, a, is a complete scum. Either like, you know, just legal drinking age. They just you know turn nineteen and they can drink. Um, but you know, bars are just like too whatever for them, so they just go to Seven Eleven and grab their junk food and eat it and get served beer or like a total like scumbag <laughs> now i'm stereotyping these people i haven't met them so. like I, I okay so in a way i understand the appeal because uh it the 7-elevens although aren't doing very well here in canada or at least on here anyways um you know in asia they're they they're like everywhere. You walk down like one street, you might find actually like two in one block kind of thing, right? And that's they're trying to model that type of um, 7-Eleven here in the hopes that, oh, you know, people can eat inside, you know, whatever, everything inside. But like I've purchased stuff from 7-Eleven here and I purchased stuff from 7-Eleven over there. And hands down, like no, no, no argument. 7-Eleven in Asia is way better. <laughs> the food is actually even tastier, although it is still, you know, uh, something that is processed in a way, but it's still way better. Like in Japan, oh my God, that stuff there, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like everything in Japan, everything yeah. you eat there, it's just like, like ramen from a vending machine is superior <laughs> to a lot of the <laughs> food that you can get from here. Tell me, so paint me a picture, Justin. So I know 
you know, in Seven Eleven in North America. I, I I can't say that I've dined there. Uh, you know, the ones that I've been, the one that I've been to in Chicago, I had like those taquitos, those like taco roll things. What can you get in a Seven Eleven in Asia? Paint me a picture. Now we're oh, on a little like lots of things. So again, it, it it will target to whatever um your 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 market is. So, but if it's so amazing, tell me what it is. So, for example, Japan, right? Uh, you can actually go and purchase these like uh snacks where it's like uh cold cuts uh you know fr- uh sought like these uh uh what's it called like things you would find in a uh sorry i want to butcher this man this is the longest lead up ever please <laughs> you know just what? tell I'm me only, what it is <laughs> i've only spent like maximum a, a month and a bit of my life ever mm-hmm. in hong kong yeah okay i'm visiting i'll tell you what there is you got your fish shakes or, or fish balls. Curry fish uh, balls. Curry fish that. balls. You can go and buy an instant noodle. Mm-hmm. Uh, same same instant noodle you can get, but you they got hot water there in a microwave. You can, you know, heat it right up and eat your instant noodle and drink your, your beer. Uh, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, granted, it is way, it is way better than, than what Toronto has, especially when we're talking about the west end of the city. I wouldn't touch anything there. God, I wouldn't even put my food, a bag of chips on the counter. Um, <laughs> but, but ultimately it's like, you're, you're judging two different things. Like how it many is, people, drink, but how many people drink alone in, in Asia that has this type of like drinking problems? Probably I think per capita, maybe North America is a little bit more trended towards that way. Right. Like in, just from my experience in in Hong Kong, it feels like when you go to a Seven Eleven, you're going out to party, and we all know how expensive being a man is or a guy is when you go out to a club. You got to you got pony up, and you especially if you go to LKF or whatever, those drinks are expensive as heck. You're gonna get liquored up down down the street where there's a Seven Eleven. You can buy yourself a Mickey of like black label or red label, whatever it is, the cheapest Mickey you can get there, and you just chuck that shit and you go. That's the convenience of it. Because you you're just cheap to do it, right? Again, that's in Hong Kong, though, right? But so it also depends on your culture. So, like for example, living in Korea, they have a huge drinking culture there, right? And it's not again like pretty much everywhere you go, you'll see people drinking, and hence why, uh, like you said, um, if there's people that have issues with overindulging. Right, like they can't control themselves. In a sense, yes, you, you do have that over in, you know, let's say Korea. But at the same time, it's just part of the culture. But okay, so we're on the topic of people overindulging and maybe people that have a drinking problem. But I, I don't see how how having that Seven Eleven, maybe they have a draft system, or you can just open your Tall Boys or whatever there and drink it. I don't see how that's any different than a bar um, in terms of um, enabling someone who has a drinking problem, right? Um, I think my main um, question around the idea is, um, are you are we really going to trust a gas station attendant to or a convenience store attendant to check IDs, to have their like smart serve like certification, to 
know when someone has overindulged and, you know, take the keys from them or stop serving them. Are you going to trust Sanjay down the block to take this? Because I am not. That's the main issue for me is not being able to sell um, liquor because it's being sold in grocery stores. Uh, it's the consumption on site and people going for those like those quick drinks, you know, hitting up that greasy food and, you know, this convenience store might not cut them off. It's more so like, yeah, now that you brought that one up, uh, that example up, I'm just thinking like, okay, these guys are probably people, Sanjay is likely a engineer back in India or a doctor or some PhD and they come over here to have a good life. They can't get all that instead of being a cab driver. Now they might be a 7-Eleven attendant, getting paid minimum wage, having to deal with drunk ass people. Do you think they're going to really put their life on the line to stop someone and refuse to serve a person? Hell no. It's not going to happen, right? We're Now we're not even talking about like serving underage people or kids, but it's more so like who's going to, like you like Andrew, like Andrew said, what are the chances of them stepping up to, to be that final line of defense, making sure people are doing it? I, I don't think it's going to happen. Especially no, if you get like a drunkard. No, they're already told, you know, for the, the convenience stores that are attached to gas stations, if someone's stealing gas, let them steal it. Like, yeah. don't try to get in the way. We've, we've seen um, news stories of people getting like killed or run over or whatever because they try to stop somebody stealing gas. There's no way they're going to kind of step in the way. And, you know, someone wants to get belligerent. Oftentimes, I think these convenience stores, they have a franchise owner or whatever only puts one person in the store, right? One person in the store. I mean, maybe you have another person if you have this whole alcohol program or whatever. But if you have like 10 drunk people in there, good luck to you. It's true. Even if you have like a security system, like, yeah, or like a security guard, like JC can attest to, you can't, security guards aren't going to touch you. It's not like back in Hong Kong where the security guards at a bank are, are like, you know, they're packing heat. They got their shotgun, pump shotgun going on. Boom. Ain't nobody fucking with you there. But in Canada, no one does that, man. Like, no one cares. I feel like the many times I've gotten drunk in the past, uh, <laughs> in the past, I do get very, I, I get happy. And then I I follow into a rage, depending on who it is. <laughs> who would that be? Anyways, no, like, ran- go ahead. Like, like random, random people on the street. A little inside joke. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Like, it just seems like we're going through this COVID thing. Why the fuck is the Doug Fort even like bothering with this whole issue? It's not even an issue. No one's asking for it. Honestly, no, not a single soul that I know ever contemplate. Like, you know what? You know what would make our life better? A 7-Eleven. A 7-Eleven that sold us alcohol. <laughs> no one. No, I agree. Maybe, uh, maybe for his for his staff that's planning this whole vaccine rollout. These guys look sound like they're they're the type to roll out their blueprint on a 7-Eleven counter, you know, waiting to get drunk and just coming out with random ass decisions on what to do. You know what it is a lot of times is... Like, for example, the situation that Doug Ford's in now with the whole COVID rollout and whatnot, uh, it, like, he's just pretty much creating smoke, right? 
something to divert the uh you know general population's uh, attention to right although it's we'll still another cheesecake <laughs> <laughs> it, it can only work so, you know, for yeah <laughs> sorry continue <laughs> yeah so like uh yeah it's basically just to you know get people off his back about you know certain things right while he it, it essentially it buys him time it buys him a little bit more time to try to think of a better reasoning or answer or whatever you want to call it so you're saying to... he's he's building a straw man essentially so i'm i'm dealing with this pandemic i'm dealing with so many other things let me build this straw man over here that people can attack so that they don't focus on terrible job that i'm doing with the stuff that matters i wouldn't be surprised if that's the case right mm, yeah i mean that's... with the work with the way how he you know it, how he's handled this whole you know pandemic situation and the whole you know quote unquote uh uh what's it called the 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 zones right the, the safe, colors the color the, system the safety zones and the danger zones yeah yeah yeah, you know what? I think I think that's pretty insightful. You know, you raise a good point uh, on this whole straw man that he's building. I, I just think whenever there's something, whenever there's something to do with alcohol, he always. But this is like always on the top of his like his policies. I don't understand. Like the whole buck of beer was like his. Like when he, whenever he leaves office. And we go down uh, the things that he did. Like the top ten is going to be mostly alcohol related. Oh, for sure. Booze yeah. and yeah. grocery stores. <laughs> Buck of beer. I can list you. Yeah. <laughs> take out, take out beer. You can order draft beer on your takeout or your. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like after COVID, you're still allowed to do that. I'm like, bitch. What kind of fucking alcoholic are you that you required, you know, Uber to take you out a draft beer? Just go out and buy your fucking own beer. Jesus Christ. Anyways, it's it's shit like this that like, yeah, like what you're saying, Andrew, the fact that all he does is just talk about booze. Yeah, it, it's pretty transparent. I would, I mean, we're having a good time laughing about this, but it's actually kind of sad, you know, the way he transfixes on these kind of things. Yeah, it, it's, you know, deal with the bigger problems. Forget about this whole thing. I don't know. Like, uh, it sounds like our group chat there, guys. Group chat was getting into quite, quite, quite the talk about wanting this or not. I, th- I feel like personally, if we're taking a vote right here, the three of us, who, uh, how many of us are in, fl- in favor of it? Like, uh, like, in, for me, if it happens, okay, sure, you know, whatever, but. <laughs> if it doesn't happen, it's not like I'm going to be like crying over it and, you know, pounding my chest and saying, oh, the injustice, right? Like, honestly, it's not something that will really better my life right now at the current moment. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, obviously with them being able to sell it in convenience stores, sure, why not? I mean, this whole beer store monopoly lcbo monopoly kind of thing is a little tired i think they should be able to maybe sell it consumption on site is the thing that they have to be very very careful about and they have to really 
you know, have rules and, you know, steep fines for violations and, you know, spot um, uh, drop-in uh, inspections and all that kind of stuff. They really need to, to, to make sure that people aren't skirting the rules around it. Um, and they really have to keep a close eye on people, especially, again, especially when it's attached to a gas station. Um, you know, you really have to be careful about it. Uh, I, I don't, can't say either way. Um, I can't say that if they do it, I'm going to go out there and protest them again. But I, I really don't think consumption on site is a great idea. I don't, again, like you said, I don't know who's asking for it. Teenagers? I, I really don't know. <laughs> I just think a part of it is like, a part of the discussion is also like being able to drink in public. Outside of like, say, a patio or something like that. I don't know. I, uh, I know for sure that Andrew and I have partake, partaken in drinking in public places. I don't see the cops have better things to do than to stop someone from drinking on the street. Unless you're a homeless person who's really drunk out of his mind in a public, very public place like Young Street like Young and Bloor area, you know, cops don't typically care. You can probably walk by with a tall boy and crack it open and you're just walking, strolling by. No one, like, the cops won't bat an eye at this point. The worst case scenario is they don't make, they'll make you throw it out or pour it out. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you're going to drink, you're going to drink, right? Um in a bar, you're in a controlled setting. There's no minors there. In theory, there should be limits to how much you can drink, and they should be monitoring it. We know that doesn't always happen. In a vehicle, of course, you can't drink and drive. Um, out in public, I, I'm, I'm not sure what the dangers might be. Maybe pedestrians getting themselves in situations they don't want to get into or potentially you know, giving alcohol to minors, but that might happen at home anyways or in private households. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm a little on the fence about drinking in public as well. I know other countries do it without issues, um, like Netherlands or whatever, you know, you, you, we were, we were, uh, all in Netherlands drinking Heineken together all day, every day turned out fine for the most part. No one fell in the canals. Yeah. Also part of it is all like this whole talk of where where are you finding these 7-Eleven places? These are probably found in you know lower income areas. I think they're mainly downtown right now. Well, you're not looking at like really nice downtown area. You're looking at like probably a little rundown area. How often do you go into a convenience store when you're in a more affluent neighborhood? Even Kim's convenience is a you know, if people know only knew where Kim's convenience is located really and not just what is presented on the CBC show, they would never walk there. I used to work in that area. It was scary as crap. People would take shits on the street. Like they pull down. I was walking down the street on, <laughs> on Queen, you know, just decide to take a different route. I was a fool. Like Queen East is the, <laughs> it's something else, man. There, there's like uh, sites where you can injection sites, safe injection sites that's where i walked past and i was just like oh fuck i I messed up i gotta stick to my normal rope and avoid this thing where i'm walking there and then i see all these druggies all these um people with like mental 
what's the what's the PC way of saying it? They have uh, mental health issues, and that's where all these convenience stores are located. And and give feeding them like alcohol isn't going to help the case there too. I agree. Uh, like Andrew said, you know, there is the concern about drinking in public and overconsumption. People basically stepping over the line, right, and taking it way too far. And I totally agree with that. Uh, again, I, I I just think that it's just a way for him to find something to talk about, you know, and just kind of get people off his back about certain things. Get that nine hundred pound gorilla off his back, as he <laughs> as he always says. You know, because uh, I think people. So right now, as we speak, there's an op- opioid epidemic going on. People are just getting you know, destroyed out on these, these pills and on injections or whatever. So, I mean, to say there's not people running around already out of their mind, probably driving out of their mind, as anyone can kind of attest to if they've ever driven a car around anywhere, people are just out of their mind. It's like, um, people will find a way, either way, to, you know, be, be blitzed out of their mind in public. Um, but do you want to kind of enable that um that behavior um i I i would only be concerned about at risk populations and not you know a normal um rational thinking person i agree you weren't supposed to agree now it's just too silent man Uh, at the end of the day, I think like, like for example, like, you know, the whole OPR crisis, whatnot. Yes. They created the safe injection sites, you know, to try to hopefully, I guess, uh, give these, um, give these people that have these, uh, you know, troubles, um, a safer way to, uh, get what they want without putting themselves in danger. Um, I, I understand the the uh, I'm not sure how to word it, but but I understand their what their their intentions are, right? However, I I, I personally don't think that this is those the way to go, because um, deep down it's a far more troubling issue, right? So, you know, why do people end up being you know, abusing drugs. Uh, it all stems from how it is at home. You know, uh, far deeper issues. Uh, maybe parents were abusive or um, it's not a happy environment, dangerous environment. You know, it could be anything. So these are th- things that, these are the core, I would say, of things that needs to be tackled at in order to try to change how people might um, possibly walk down this path of, uh, you know, possible no return. Like you hear stories about how people that used to be, you know, uh, drug addicts and whatnot, they, they, uh, they make a recovery, you know, because they go to these, um, AA groups or they go to some kind of counseling and whatnot. And this is exactly what people need. It's just essentially, you know, people have no support. 
right? For maybe there, maybe uh, you know, could be childhood troubles, like they never got love from parents or whatever, right? And it causes people to uh, lash out and you know, just kind of find something that it will take them take their minds off of that deep troubling pain. pain and whatever not right so it's a far deeper it's a far deeper issue so yeah you you raise those points and i'm sure part of the drug using community is from that um <clears throat> that line of that line of life or that that way of life another um large part is people who you know legitimately got hurt or um they had some experience with a party drug and they just kind of escalated towards that point. Um, people who get hurt, they get prescribed these opioids from the doctor. Um, <clears throat> eventually that prescription is going to run out. Eventually either you run out of money, you don't have insurance or you get better, but you still want that high, right? So you either buy the pills at, you know, street rates or whatever, keep taking those pills or you switch to harder stuff. You switch to fentanyl, you switch to heroin and injection drugs. Like a lot of people who are now like homeless and on the street started out with like just an injury. Like I injured myself at work. They prescribed this thing. Now I'm fucked. Right. I had a neighbor at the townhouse who was like that used to be some chef or whatever. And uh, he got on the opioids. Now that guy's brain is scrambled eggs. That guy's done. Um, so you see normal people having this happen to them as well. Um, and that kind of exacerbates like the, the problems at home, like you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. I, I do want to say like JC has some good insight there. I wasn't sure where it was going and I was going to go and ask him like if, if JC was, was in charge of the city to take care of this <laughs> issue, what would you do? And I'm glad I didn't have to ask that because you went in on, on, on it yourself there. Um, but I think I one was... thing to, to note, uh, Justin, is um, you know you, we talk about um, you know safe injection sites not being the best solution, and they need you know AA and counseling and all that stuff. But I think you know in, in that respect, I might disagree with you, Mayor uh, Mayor Justin. Um, it, when you're leaving it up to the individual to kind of seek out that help they probably would have to go into like a shelter or into a group environment where they don't necessarily feel safe. If they're a homeless, marginalized person, if they're a person of like color or whatever, indigenous, they might get stigmatized when they go to like a hospital to get help or whatever. Um, and I think also, you know, if the government were to outreach and try to help these people, um, like an individual basis. If you, JC, are, are on the street, you're having a problem, someone has to come to you and help you with your problem. It's like herding cats, right? Where are you going to find this person on a daily basis and, you know, check up on them, make sure they're safe? Like, it's a lot of money and a lot of time and effort you have to pour into that where you could just say, okay, this person is on drugs now. And, you know, we could want to protect this person as much as possible. We don't want this person to die of hepatitis or AIDS or whatever from sharing needles and all that stuff. We don't want them to OD on fentanyl. So let's just set up something so that, you know, they don't die, right? I mean, we, we might not be able to pour all this money and attention into helping them get better. Um, 
because obviously Canada has all these social programs. This is how people were able to survive this whole pandemic where in the States people are fucked. Right. Um, but do we have that many resources to get everyone off the street, off of drugs and productive? I don't know. Oh no, for sure not. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's almost like the vaccine here, right. And how they're rolling it out. Do you give one dosage to, you know, majority of the population where it's only, what was it? I think the first dosage is only like what, 50% or 60% uh, uh, helpful or anything like that? Effectiveness. And then, you know, uh, or do you, or do you kind of give the people who are already getting that first injection, their second injections, soon after so that those people are technically you know the so-called 90 or 95 percent effective right and protected and then you move on to the other people i think we want to be careful about that too so um you know the whole vaccine strategy is it's they're they're learning on they're learning and adjusting on the fly right and we can slam them all we want about that, but this is what we expect them to do. We don't expect them to be set in their ways and like say, this is how we're going to do it. And no matter what conditions change, they're just going to be stuck in their ways and do it. Um, but as well, I think we want to be careful about talking about the efficacy of the vaccines as well. Um, we know that some of the later vaccines were probably tested on people who had the variants too. So to say that maybe they're not as effective may not be as accurate as possible. We just want to be careful with that. Okay, so okay, let me rephrase it then. Yeah. Like, uh, for for example, the Oxford uh, vaccine that that what was it they're they're talking about. AstraZeneca. It was AstraZeneca? Yeah. Yeah. So. Like um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're saying you know there's certain cases where it just so happened that the people who took them also have blood clots, right? And then they're also saying like uh, people over the age of, what was it, 50-something, 60 or whatever, uh, you know, should not be taking these things. And at the end of the day, it's, I feel like, like you said, Andrew, they're kind of just like testing it out and see how it goes. And then be like, oh, it doesn't work. Okay, they're going to slowly adjust their... Their, their sales, you know. Well, maybe the people you know who what? got blood clots were just Jamaican, and they were just saying blood clot. Blood clot. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> you you want to change your little uh, accent there. <laughs> I'm trying not to do it. But, okay. um, you know, I think it's not even testing it out. It's a deployment strategy, right? Like, it's not like we're testing it out to see what, what, what works. We're, we have a limited supply, and we need to make, see how we're going to deploy it in the strategy that makes sense. Right, man. I don't know why we keep circling back to this COVID thing. I, I was gonna stick to the thing with uh, with like the homeless and, and addicts. Go for it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pivot back to it. Go for it. Do you do you like? There's a couple podcasts I listen to. Granted, it's not in a Toronto or a Canada base, but it's more US based. They talk about shelters and how hard it is for people that are homeless um, to get a spot in a shelter. And then once you even get into a shelter, it's not like, like you guys said, it's not the safest place. I work by a uh, close by shelter and it is, it is a gong show there. If you're like, let's just say one of us fell on hard times and we're on the streets 
and we got into that shelter. I don't know if we're going to be, if our mental health and our well-being is going to be better or stabilized being in a shelter. Because you're going to deal with someone who might be a fucking nut job just because, you know, they got into shelter too and they might be talking, they might be violent. And you're not going to get any sleep because you can't close your eyes because you don't know who the hell is going to be beside you in the next bed. Um, the main thing, uh, the question is, is like how as a country where we think we're developed, you know, we're fairly well, well off. Well, we're definitely well off. We're like the 1% of the world. And then there's that 1% above us, which is the super rich. But compared to other places, we're very well off. You see these documentaries about, you know, a person or someone in Asia can be working and they're doing hard labor, hard, hard labor, 12 hours a day. And they're bringing home a buck, a buck or three bucks USD a day. And for us, it's like a buck or three. That's like nothing. Sometimes you drop a dime. You're like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to pick it up. Uh, or, you know, you, you go out for a takeout. <laughs> they give you change and you're like, ah, you know what? Just keep it. Just round it up. I don't need to change. Um, how can we like, is it kind of even circles back to the whole housing thing, right? If w- us working people can barely get a place to establish our roots or like, you know, kind of build a family out, how do we expect you know, these people that are falling on hard times to even get their feet under them to go somewhere. Is there no better way? Is it is the time for us to stop, you know, leaving it to the government, the municipalities to kind of handle this? Because clearly they're not handling it well enough. Yeah. To that point, you know, everything takes forever here, right? And we've talked about this at length, like building everything takes forever. Construction takes forever. Every single time they want to put a homeless shelter somewhere, and that is given that there's people who actually want to stay there for all the points that you mentioned, like they're not safe, people might get their stuff stolen, the whole COVID and close quarters situation now. For years, this is going to be a problem. People are going to be scared because they're already in poor health on the street. Now they're going to go in a shelter and, and you know sit beside COVID Joe. I don't think they're going to do it, right? But every time we see about a shelter being put up in a, a decent, you know, affluent neighborhood. There's always like a NIMBYs out there protesting. NIMBYs not in my backyard. They're always out there protesting. We don't want this. There's going to be crime. There's going to be drugs. Where are you going to put what these places? What about my right? property value? It's going to drop. Every single time, man, like every, every few months you see something on the internet trending like Midtown, like Rosedale or whatever. They're just saying, Oh, you know, there's this, there's, I think in near Young and Eglinton, they put one up near in the old Roehampton hotel. Um, and then everyone was out like, you know, getting their panties in a bunch about it. Yeah. Where are you going to put it? Like, that's the whole thing. There's always all this public outcry wherever you put it. Cause like deep down, does anyone really want it in their neighborhood? I, part of it is at the same time, like the value that, our society kind of puts forth in different roles. I feel um, we have we have athletes, pro athletes, making millions of dollars, um, but that's relevant to the income that they generate, right? Because that industry is different. But then you have, you know, you have social saw workers. They're paid what, like forty grand, uh, forty thousand a year, fifty thousand a year. I don't know how much they get, they get paid, but definitely not as much as you know an average accountant or something like that would make. And you expect them to kind of put their 
their lives, you know, on the line dealing with people that have mental issues or whatnot. It's just like the funding of it. You know, you're not putting in enough resources where you're attracting the right people to do it. People that have a good heart and willing to go in there to do it. Uh, thumbs up to you. Thumbs up to them too. But uh, the thing is, it's more like after a while, they're going to break. Everyone's going to break, right? You can't deal with like like this this sadness and the suffering all day without you know affecting your own life i just think like maybe it's just better off that we have to kind of reallocate the resources properly maybe this is what that whole defunding means right oh fuck it dawned on me this is what it means yeah oh shit i that's what it is my own pod you stole Uh, that's what i was that's what i was going to talk about now i don't have to (laughs) i just worked my way around it oh shit okay uh um so yeah, the, the whole thing is, I think the resources aren't aren't there. Like, if we put more emphasis on kind of helping it out, it's like that saying, what was it, like, rise and ties, you know, raises all ships. Like, everyone, everyone goes up, right? But right now, we're having a big, big problem. It's only going to get worse because, you know, it's going to get exasperated, exasperated. Like, oh, fuck, I can't say the word. Um no one's going to help me. Fuck you guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but it's only going to increase with COVID and with um, jobs, you know, especially these jobs. Like some of these guys might be working like as a busboy or or dish cleaners or, or whatnot. And now they don't even have a job. It's just there's just so much pressure involved in there. It's only going to get worse. And I feel like we're not putting in the right resources. And it's marginalized communities too, not just, you know, people who are on drugs and end up on the street. It's a lot of people of of color or disabled people that end up there in the first place. And, you know, I'm sure we don't want to get into this again, but this whole systemic racism thing, right? If you have a school that's maybe not in the best area, they don't have the funding, they kind of take sets of students and stereotype them and track them through to a certain track, they drop out because the system is not teaching them what they need to know or teaching to some standardized tests like EQAO garbage or whatever. Um, and then all of a sudden now they have no job prospects. They're on the street, whatever. I mean, the, the, the fix that we're talking about is larger than just a place to live, right? It's, it's, it's larger it's, than a email signature. Pretty much, man. At the end of the day, what it is is that there's a lack of support. That's what it is. Right? There's no incentive for people to go into this business outside of the goodness of their heart. Well, that's the thing, right? At the end of the day, like every like we've all been brought up to where it's like, oh, you know, there has to be uh, some kind of incentive, or there has to be some kind of uh, thing that will benefit you by doing this, right? And this is what you were taught at a young age, which is, again, you know, uh, I can't say that it's, um, I can't say that it's the best way to deal with it, but uh, that's just how we were brought up, right? And uh, that's the unfortunate thing where everybody is, they prioritize that, oh, you know, I have to, you know, make X amount of money in order to uh, be able to 
do this or I have to gain this type of status in order to, you know, make myself feel better or, you know, whatever it is, right? And at the end of the day, again, these are the the things like you said, it's it's resources, right? Resources, priorities, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they're just allocated wrong. And if we can put more of these, you know, so-called resources in in <clears throat> in places where we all end up helping each other, right? To change that mindset, the only that's how you know you can kind of dig yourselves out of this rut, right? That the city's in. There's one thing I got to give up to, like Jeff Bezos' ex-wife. She made off with all that money and she's given it away. And she's given away for good cost. Like you don't see that happen with a lot of these uh, billionaires, right? Like Jeff Bezos, that that nerd in his own office with that, you know, Amazon sign. If you, if you asked him 25 years ago, if he made it big, like a billionaire, he's probably not even thinking that much. If he can make a million, he's probably super happy. He's probably super altruistic, you know, thinking that, you know, once I have some money, I'm going to help some people out. I'm going to really help some people out. Does money eventually just like turn someone evil? Like the more you get, the more you have, the more you want to keep it for yourself. I think that comes down to how you were taught and raised. Right. Yeah, like you like you said that, right? Like I get it. Like for I was just speaking my own personal experience, like my parents were just, you know, they work typical manufacturing jobs or, you know, like not like the lower rung jobs, but they're not getting paid a lot, right? Um for them it's all about having the stability. But now that we have that stability, like my generation, like for me, I have that stability. Is it my turn to kind of turn around to kind of help other people? in a sense that are in more need than me. That's the good thing about the whole charity donate donation, right? When you get like a, again, the outside of the part that like some of these charities are super bloated and they waste a lot of money and they're just paying their, their own people. You get to decide where your money goes and then you get to go and deduct it or um, take it away from your taxable income. So then you don't get taxed on it. Um, so if you really want to go and do something about it, if there's like a cause that like you really believe in, you can donate to it and you know that the money that you're sending over that way is used towards a cause better than, you know, we give it to the Ontario government fucking Ford. Uh, or, I mean, yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Sorry, finish that. No, no. So like, it's just like you control, at least you have a say in terms of where your money goes to. But again, root of all evil is like money. So then these these charities then get bloated and then they start hiring all these people and their executives gets paid like six six figures. I mean, we've seen... So I think America or USA is one of the most charitable nations, if not the most charitable nation in the world. Like in terms of pe- normal people, individuals, not just corporations and like uh, foundations, but normal people making charitable donations. I think USA is number one. But look at the inequality and the homelessness in USA. Um, I, I'm not even sure money is what solved the issue at this point, right? Um, that's kind of a head scratcher. Um, you know, in, in, in Western society, We've always been, um, 
I don't know how this came about. We've always been conditioned to think that someone who is homeless or you know, on drugs on the street or whatever, that is because of their poor decisions. That is, it's it's the individual's fault. That's why they're there. That's why when you walk past, you know, a homeless person on the street, you don't, they ask for change, you look the other way. You pretend you didn't see them, right? Because you're like, this person made some bad decisions. Uh, these are the consequences of their bad decisions. Um, so I, I'm not sure, you know, there's a lot of philanthropy going around. I mean, Bill Gates is kind of the uh, antith- antithesis of uh, a guy like Jeff Bezos, where Bill Gates is all over, like, you know, philanthropy and and vaccines and for the third world, mostly. Um, he, somehow he's a villain in USA. I don't know how. Um, but, you, you know. He's scattering all of your information for, was it biochemical warfare or whatever now, right? I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> yes, him in the 5G towers, man. Uh I don't know what you do to solve the problem in a Western nation, right? Um, obviously, the work goes tremendously, a tremendously long way in the baser uh, survival uh, needs of like third world nations. But here, the system just doesn't work for these people, no matter how much money we pour into it. Yeah. There's always people that think like, the moral hazard is you give them money, you give them basic income or the universal basic income. You're just feeding these people and then you're not getting them to actually pick themselves up by the bootstraps and then go and find good work. Like you said, it's, it's impossible. Like we have, they have all the money in the world to hell. They, you know, as proven the past couple of months, they can print money out of thin air. They can do it. They should be able to help people. But it's like, it's, it just reminds me of the time when, when Wilson back in, in high school would just throw $10 at us and say, buy yourself some happiness. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I did buy myself some happiness. That poutine down at Campbell's cafeteria was like on point. Curly fries. <laughs> if only things were that simple. It, it's, it's like the saying, the saying goes, you know, uh, what was it? Help, Come on, man! Help, help a man. <laughs> it was something. I forgot, I forgot how it goes, but it's something. Okay, give a man a like, fish. You feed him what? Uh, you feed him for the day. Teach yeah. a man how to fish. He feeds him for his entire life. Something like that. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, it depends on what you like. Like, it depends on how you were raised, right? If you were born in a family where everybody is, you know, law enforcement or like military and whatnot, their mentality is always going to be like. You know, you have to do everything yourself. You have to be strong-willed and whatever not, right? And then you have families that were brought up from, let's say, poverty. And somehow, through hard work and a bit of luck, they managed to, uh, you know, build a life for themselves. And then they tell their kids, um, oh, you know, you should do more charitable work. Uh, you know, help people whenever you can. And, you know, uh, even if... Uh, if they can do it, right? But as long as you can give them a bit of help with something, you know, instead of teaching them how to do it themselves, you can, you know, just help them. Like, it, it, again, it depends on how you were raised. You know, like, you always go back to the point of how you were raised. Um, 
I, it's something that's come across my mind as I, you know, <laughs> smoke more weed these days. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's the, just the light bulb just kind of goes off. <laughs> no, it's just there's a part of me that becomes more empathetic. Kind of tries to like I see things in a different light. I see things in and maybe someone else's point of view more. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird, like how when when you're saying like that's how you change or you're you're brought up right. There's a system. Maybe you're you brought up in a house that's a little bit more military. You know, people are drilling in the rules. You know, I was brought up in a house like drugs bad and all that. And it's funny how I think now I'm smoking weed. I'm consuming weed and stuff. And it's opened my eyes to like, you know, my shortcomings or something, things that I want to change about myself. Like, this is what I want to do, you know, or, you know, I, I look back, not that saying I had a horrible childhood or anything. In fact, looking back, I can probably say I had a really good childhood, but there's still some finer points of things like how I would want to change raising my own kids, you know, in the future and trying to break that, you know, that, that circle, that vicious circle trying to make them feel better. And I feel, honestly, I can attribute that to probably smoking weed. I don't know if you guys have that experience or at least Andrew, if you have that experience, like as you consume, sometimes you look at it, things in a different way, a different perspective. I mean, I don't even know if my different perspective are are based off of any substance consumption, right? Um, Or just growing and learning stuff. Dude, I get real introspective and, you know, this whole situation in the past year or so, you know, I've gotten real introspective and yes, my cannabis consumption has gone up as well. Um, (laughs) but I don't think I can tie, or at least I haven't done the experiment to tie, uh, my new introspection to, um, increased cannabis use. Actually, you probably raise a good point, man. I don't even know. Um, but (laughs) I know now I know kind of the value of, other people, the value of friends and the value of family, how I, I look more closely at the way I interact with other people, right? Let's try to study uh, how, how I've done things in the past, how I'm doing things now and how I'm going to interact with other people in the workplace. And after this is all said and done, we can finally see each other in person. How am I going to interact with you guys? But as well, now it's like a life change. You know, we're all getting older, you know, we're in mid thirties now, you know, there's a certain point. I mean, Link, you got a kid, right? Um, uh, oh, four years ago, five years ago, I didn't get a fuck about kids. Like <laughs> now, it's like you know, all my friends are having kids, and now I'm thinking about stuff from there. Like I'm channeling my thoughts into their thoughts now, and so mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, what is the future going to hold for the next generation? That's what I'm thinking about right now. But you know, I couldn't give a shit about it four or five years ago, right? So there's that. Yeah. Parent corner right here. Just like, <laughs> just like, yeah. Like every time say, if I get mad, I, I know people don't want to say that they get mad, mad at their kids, but to be honest with you, when you have kids, it's going to happen. You're going to get mad at them. And I don't know, again, it, it, this ties back to my, my marijuana consumption, which is like at the end of the night to relax, to kind of calm down. I, I hit the reefer you know, kind of relax, get very introspective, as you said. And it's just like things that I look back on the day, like I just think like, okay, well, let's say uh, Zach was uh, 
kind of ignoring me the entire time. Like I'm talking to him and he's not making me having self like eye contact with me. And it's just, uh, just pretending he can't hear me. And then when he finally realized I'm not, I'm upset about the whole situation. I'm, you know, I, and he's trying to cheer me up and I turn around and I'm like, you know, here I am playing the cool game, ignoring him kind of stuff. And then when I consume my weed, I'm like thinking, fuck, I need to be a better person. I need to be a, you know, I'm the grown up. I need to show him, you know, this is not the way you treat people. Like then he's learning off of me saying like, okay, well, if my dad can go and like pretend I don't exist or if I, you know, doesn't have to listen to me when he doesn't like, if he's not happy with me, then I can do the same thing. I'm like, motherfucker is a fucking vicious cycle. I think one thing that you need to um, just not be so hard on yourself, right? Um, you know, during this whole pandemic, I've been done, doing a lot of reading and I read a lot about like, you know, stoicism and all the uh, philosophy. It's just that, you know, you can't be dwelling on that one moment, right? That one moment is not going to scar your kid for life, right? That one moment is not going to dictate his whole future, right? It's, it's, um, it's okay for you to learn from an experience and it's okay for you to say, okay, shit, I didn't handle that the right way, but I can't erase that from his memory. The next time I, I do this, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to see how it goes. Um, so <laughs> say whatever you want. It's all trial and error, right? But you cannot dwell on that error, right? Uh, you have yeah. to dwell on your future improvements and, you know, don't worry so much about scarring your kid for life because it's it's generally not going to happen from like just that one incident that you just described. Yeah, it's all about. Yeah, I totally get it. Like, uh, thanks for that words of encouragement. There, uh, it's just more so like being able to catch myself. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, I have that moment, that time, a day. You know, afterwards when everything kind of calms down, everything slows down, and I get to kind of puff the reefer and just kind of think back and just you know, tie things and just see how everything, just see the connection, right? How everything works. It's just like, okay, you know what? I got to change it. I know with one time and it's not going to change anything. Or it's not going to change them. Like you said, but it's more so like you got to stop, you got to stop it before it becomes a habit. Right. And then it just kind of gets ingrained in them. Uh, that's what I'm, you know, part of what it is. But anyways, fuck, I saw a video where they're saying like being a parent is damn hard <laughs> because then you have to be the better person too. Cause you can't, you don't want to raise an asshole? Well, of course. I mean, like, like no parent is perfect, right? Like, I can't, I can't speak or say, like, I know how you, you as a parent is going through because I myself, like, hell, I'm not even married yet, right? But I can imagine that, you know, like Andrew said, you can't, you can't, for, it goes for anything, not just parenting in general. You, yes, you you might have made a mistake, or you realize later, oh, I did something that could have been done better. You know, you 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 can self reflect on it and give yourself be like, hey, you know, you gotta try to do a little bit better. But you can't beat yourself on it too much because then you just you you just end up uh, putting yourself down even more. Oh yeah, yeah. Come on. Okay, guys. You guys make it sound like I'm, I'm a very depressed person here. I'm just saying, like, I've gotten softer. I was going to say that was, that was like listening to a, a recording of myself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, we're at we're at one thirty-five. Uh, Dude, what do just, you say we end end on a happy yeah, yeah. note? Yeah, JC, come on. You gotta. You know, this was good. I, I have to say, uh, 
we touched on topics, deeper topics than I expected or than I anticipated. It's a good thing. Uh, you got to promise the listener one day in the future, not too long ago, you come back on, man. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I, I echo that. I, I really enjoyed this, man. This was uh, tremendous. Yeah. No, thank thank you guys for you know inviting me or giving me the opportunity to uh, sorry the multiple opportunities to, to be on. <laughs> I know. I was about to say, podcast. bitch. You got to tell you. You got to thank Steve, and also you know I'm, I don't know if we want to start this. Call out another person, and we we get this chain going. Who who have you not? Uh, Maybe we uh, don't want to. Do you want to hear from you? Yeah. I know you haven't listened to any of our pods, so yeah. I have. I have actually. I have. I have. I just yeah. haven't listened to the recent ones. <laughs> all right maybe we save that call up for another time maybe you tell us offline and we'll do that uh no again thank you guys for uh, giving me this chance and uh yeah it was, it was, it was uh, fun you know it's always good to catch up just because we haven't seen each other for a very long time now i think i don't know how it's been but you know it's, it's good to yeah. always more than more than that i would say right yeah yeah since yeah. december but yeah yeah but anyways so thanks a lot man thanks a lot guys right. thanks everyone right. peace peace, peace. bye